0: Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. Jana Barber is a blogger, a poet, and a memoirist. Her most recent book is Hidden in Shadow, Tales of Grief, Lamentation, and Faith. Jill Phillips said of the book, Jana Barber is not afraid to sit in the tension and paradox of spiritual transformation. Her words bring a welcome, gentle, and wise voice that helped me see my own journey and the journey of others with more tenderness and compassion. Well, that sounds about right to me. I was very happy to sit down with Jana Barber. Jana Barber, I'm so happy that you are able to be on the Habit podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here. So you uh, have a memoir called Hidden in Shadow. Tell me about when, when people ask you, what is this book about? Mm-hmm. What's the short version? What's the short answer to that question?
1: Um, I usually say it's a memoir about the value of grief in the life of a believer, and then if that doesn't totally scare them or bore them, then then I say um, that I was a preacher's daughter growing up and that I grew up in an an environment where I didn't feel I had permission to grieve, but my family life was such that we had a lot of loss over and over again. My dad Mm -hmm. um, moved our family several times because of the churches that he pastored, and so... Um, I didn't know how to reconcile the loss I was experiencing with the culture that told me that I should be fine if I had Jesus.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Your chapter titles are place names and, and just that list of different places you lived when you were little, that in itself yeah. is kind of a sad little commentary, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to compare the dates with the places, you know, the, the right. dates aren't very far away, Yeah, uh, but the, there's so many places um well you know one of the central images in in your book is and I guess you know where you get your title from is the idea of the moon and the cycles of the moon that they're always waxing and waning and mm-hmm. and and while the moon always stays the same actually from where we sit it it's, looks like it's waxing and waning and it's in this, this right. cycle um which as you say our experience of faith, also waxes and wanes our faith in a, in an unchanging God, right. Waxes and wanes. Um, And, and so, so much of, uh, you know, reading your book feels like you coming to terms with, with that cyclical nature Mm -hmm. of faith. And of course, this is a podcast about writing. And so I always, you know, weasel these questions around to writing. So, you know, as, as you also experienced as a writer, Right. Mm -hmm. There are there are cycles uh where you're feeling energetic and like you can, you know, write anything and then you and then Yeah. Yeah. So I (laughs) just want to talk about that idea of of those cycles Mm -hmm. with regard to you know sort of map this over to to writing.
1: Okay. Yeah, I love that you um drew that analogy because um writing is very much tied to my faith. So it's good to Mm -hmm. think about how I can um treat them accordingly. Um, So uh, one of the things that I was thinking, just as you were talking, was um, there's this element of expectation that we put on ourselves that it should never be dark. Um, And I know that in I was just thinking also with like our Christian faith, we kind of think it should always be bright. It should always be shining and we should always, cause God is faithful. He's always um, the same. Why does our faith change? But um, I don't know if it's just the um, culture of optimism in America or um, kind of the Christian culture I've already alluded to, but um, I had, in writing this book, what I learned was there isn't any shame in the fact that there are cycles. Um, mm-hmm. and I need to be okay with, you know, and again, I sound like I'm peeping more shame, be okay with not being okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, I uh, remember coming into contact with um Wendell Berry poem that he talks about what goes on in the dark as a farmer, you know, how that's mm-hmm. when the seeds blossom and, um, that was kind of a revelation to me that, and the um, verse in the Psalms where God says, or David says that darkness isn't dark to you, you mm-hmm. know, um, that's encouraging as well because uh, darkness does scare us. And it does think that, you know, if it's dark, then it's not gonna be light again. We, we get that yeah. trip in our heads. But um, so with writing um, and with faith, if I can remember to do the things that I've learned in the good times, <laughs> Yeah. When the writing was fruitful, if I can stick to that routine um, and the same place where I go and the same habits that I have of um, making a cup of tea or hot coffee and um, just relaxing and turning everything else off and focusing and starting with something I already wrote before or Mm -hmm. just giving myself permission to, especially when coming to a blank page, just feeling like it doesn't matter and it's not have to be perfect and and just get those first few words out. But, um, it's the practices I guess to keep up Uh in the dark times and know that there will be light again. But once you've gone through the cycle enough, you do start to trust it more. I think when when you're first starting out, it's harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also super important to remember that that you're that that you're not your work, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's Jana, and there's the stuff Jana writes, and you know, it, yeah. and a, a, a an unproductive writing day doesn't mean Jana's a, <laughs> a loser. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> he's had a bad day, and these yeah. things yeah. happen, you know, and and um, uh, it's just part again part of the process, and you don't, you don't even know what's going on behind mm. the scenes or under the under the surface of your of your conscious brain you don't know what's going yeah. on and, and, yeah and the truth is as long as you're sort of living in your conscious brain and i think this may be relevant to even to the to the, some of the faith questions that you explore in this book but as long as you're living in your conscious brain you're not really getting the good stuff mm-hmm. of, of writing or yeah yeah of faith <laughs> for that matter <laughs> yeah yeah um mm-hmm. although you do have to do the things that you are in control of, right? There's, there's plenty that you're not in control of, but you just have to yeah. do what you do have control of, which as yeah. you said, you can yeah. make a cup of tea and you can sit your butt in the chair and, yeah. and, and be there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I even just, you know, pick a crazy font or just, you know, really right. Um, I get a journal and, and a pen too. Sometimes you have to do the analog thing and just yeah. give yourself permission to say really stupid stuff or, the thought that keeps running through your head that you don't want to be thinking about,
0: you have know, to let that go. Yeah. You know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you mentioned, you know, in your, in your book that writing is a kind of self care
1: mm-hmm.
0: for you. Um, can you tell me more about that? What, what, why and how is writing self care?
1: Okay. Um, so the first time that I went to counseling, um, I had a hard time just talking you know, just like being the center of attention there with mm-hmm. um, my counselor, she I expected her to teach me. I went for mm-hmm. postpartum depression and I thought, you know, well, she's going to help me feel better. And then she and I also but I didn't even know I had postpartum depression. I just knew that I was angry and I wasn't a good mom. I didn't think I was a good mom to my little baby. And so I thought, well, she's going to help me. and She's going to teach me. And I got there and she just wanted me to talk and she would sit there and just be quiet until I talked. And I just, it was really hard to talk at first about myself and to be honest. And she was very patient and um, gracious, but she uh, just waited and and let me sit in that uncomfortable silence. And then once I was able to say a little bit and tell her some of my story, um, I realized that I would cut myself off when I got emotional and she realized that too, and and. You know, that would still hold a lot back. And so she encouraged me. I had said that I had diaries as a little girl. And so she said, just try writing some of these things down that we've talked about. Go home and see if you can write more than what you said here in Mm -hmm. the office with me. And um, I just, I guess, in a way, was learning to access emotions that I just had shut off for a long time. So um, that was my first experience of writing kind of discovering more of myself and Mm -hmm. having permission again, feel those feelings. And then I would say it was um, 10 or 15 years later when I started writing a blog and um, my kids were, I had two kids at that time that were uh, three and seven. And I had been a stay-at-home mom for uh, nine years. Or, I mean, I guess seven years of my oldest well, was seven, but you know, <laughs> I'm pregnancies, I guess. Um, <laughs> so anyway, my, I, um, I had grown up with a stay at home mom. My husband's mom never worked outside the house, but I had a desire to do something where I felt like I was Jana and not just mm-hmm. mom. And so, uh, that was when everybody was doing, a, had started blogs. And so I started one and, um, then, had my second miscarriage, which, um, had led to, uh, really dark depression. First time I got on medication and also pursued more counseling, but, um, writing through those losses a year later was when I realized what an honoring thing it was for me to, um, give voice to my feelings. Um, not just for myself. I don't know. Yeah. And to when I put it out into the world and I saw that other people had similar stories and wanted to share in their grief, I thought, well, this might be something I want to do more full time. You know, mm-hmm. this is what I'm looking for to uh, find out what else I can do besides be a wife and a mom. And um, so, yeah, I little by little dabbled in writing and finally committed to it about six more years later.
0: <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So if if writing is is a kind of self-care
1: mm-hmm.
0: what happens then when you can't write right <laughs> when, you, when you you know, hit yeah. a block or, or whatever i mean this that has to be an issue
1: yeah i think i'm not as healthy and whole when i'm not writing um and i didn't realize it until i started doing it you know that that was mm-hmm. the medicine i needed but um There are still times when, um, you know, life is busy or, um, I'm struggling, you know, after my book came out in December, I told myself, well, I'm going to take till January to write anything. I'm just going to relax the rest of this month and not Mm -hmm. try to write anything until the new year. And then January hit and I was like, I still don't feel like I can say anything. I, I felt, uh, I was tired. It was a hard, the end of a hard year, you know, but it was also January is like a really dark and cold month. And Uh, (laughs) so, yeah, I didn't do a lot of, I don't think I did much writing at all, January and February. Um, And I still found other ways to care for myself because of what I've learned with counselors Mm -hmm. and friends and family of, um, you know, just giving myself a break and having permission to not be productive, but Uh to rest (laughs) and recover and know that, you know, the energy and the desire would come back. And then they did, you know, towards the end of February, found myself thinking more clearly and having stuff I wanted to say.
0: Yeah. You're learning to, again, to trust that that cycle. fallow seasons and and productive seasons.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's been two or three months since I've read your book, but, but yep. wh- one image, one story that really stuck, stuck out for me that still sticks out is you tell a story about a time you came home from, I don't know where you were, it doesn't matter. You came home and the family was gone and you were expecting them to be there and they were gone. And yeah. your first, you, you quickly came to the conclusion that the rapture had happened and you'd been yeah. left behind and your family yeah. had been carried off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that story for a minute because, mm-hmm. you know, you take that story seriously in your mm-hmm. I mean, you you have the honesty to 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 take that story seriously. Right. And I was thinking if that story had happened to me, I think I would be playing that for laughs. And it yeah. is it is kind of funny. I mean, I'm, it, I'm it's sorry. very funny. <laughs> OK, yeah. OK. I'm glad I'm glad, to, I'm glad it's I, OK for me to say that's a funny story. Yeah. When uh, I saw question that. wasn't just funny, right? I mean, if there was something more going on there right. than that's just a funny yeah. little story.
1: Yeah. So when I, I used to always tell it as a funny thing, you know, when I went mm-hmm. to college, it's like, yeah, you know, this is the culture I grew up in. We we watched the Left Behind, or we did, the Left Behind movies weren't out yet, but I know I watched some movie where there was like this alarm clock that never went, got turned off and it would just beep, beep, beep throughout <laughs> the movie. <laughs> and uh, just terrifying kind of thing. Like, what if I get left behind? Mm-hmm. And Um, even though we preached, (laughs) once saved, always saved, and I'd been saved, you know, (laughs) baptized, I still just, there was a lot of fear, I think, in the uh, culture I grew up in. And so I had been walking in the uh, rice fields behind our house, and we lived out in the middle of nowhere and um, had my headphones on, was just in my own little world. and came back and then all the cars were gone and all the people were gone and I walked around and I couldn't find anybody in it.
0: Wait, uh, the cars got raptured too?
1: <laughs> well, I don't know what what I thought. Maybe there was one car there, but I knew that there weren't. It's, I'm trying to remember if, if I remember a car, but you know, at least one car wasn't there because that was my general th- first thought was, okay, they're just gone somewhere. But then I realized Anyway, I was 12. I don't know how much sense it made to my brain, but yeah, it was a funny kind of moment later on. But in the moment, I was genuinely terrified. I went and I yelled for my mom. And when she finally found me and started talking to me, I remember crying with her and hugging with her and hugging her. So I know that it was traumatic. (laughs) It wasn't just um, a half a second thought. You know, you have those second, uh, those fears when the phone call, you get the phone call in the middle of the night and then everything turns out. Okay. But, um, anyway, yeah, I think you said your question was in the email, uh, that how did I know to,
0: how did you know, when did you know that this was a significant story and not just a landing anecdote
1: Right. Um, I guess it was, Trying to access um, how I felt as a kid um, and knowing that um, my parents loved me and they were connected to me, but they were there was still something that they were missing out as far as what I needed okay. and um, I, I just um, had several memories that I was going through. And that one, for some reason at the time in my life was also, um, the hardest, one of the hardest moves. It was in middle school. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I just wanted to tell the start of that journey. Cause I felt like up until that point, my faith had been really strong and moving to that particular house in that particular town, uh, shook my faith for the first time, which probably happens to a lot of people in middle school. But to yeah. me, I thought it had to do with the fact that we had moved to this particular place. And, yeah, um, and so I was just going through that journey for myself and um, felt like a significant story. I don't know. Yeah, Holy spirit is the short answer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I just remember I, I, when, you know, when, my wife and I, you know, have been to marriage counseling and, and one of the issues we had to talk about was my tendency to tell the funny story and, and to, you know, so storytelling is a way of not dealing with big issues. Totally. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and then coming back later and saying, you know, being able to, you know, I mean, a counselor I, I had, you know, defined an anecdote as a sad story told for laughs. Mm. <laughs> and, um and that's what i mean that you had a, a sad story
1: yeah
0: ready to be told for laughs and apparently you did tell it for laughs for a long time and then you, you some somehow came to terms with the fact that this isn't just a story to be told for laughs it really is yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know i just found encouragement in in that story just to to know that there are ways to revisit you yeah know, these stories as a memoirist um mm-hmm you know, you, you dug into the, to that story and said, there's more here than, than what I have done before. Right. Well,
1: I, I really felt like that was my, it's the tension that I like to write about and explore all the time is how we want things to be all good or all bad or all happy Mm -hmm. or all sad, but there's just rarely anything that is completely that way. (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Well, um, one thing you said in talking about that, uh, I mean, I, I, well, as I said, it's been a while since I've read it, but it seems like yeah. you know, one of the things you drew out of that was this, this idea that I think you were a mental child. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. you felt a little invisible. And one of the ways you coped with life and the difficulties of life was by yeah. withdrawing and being, you know, yeah. less and less visible.
1: Right. Yeah. You may
0: have already, if you've already answered this question that's fine because you, you touched on some of the things I want to ask, but but how do you get from the way I'm going to, to cope is to be invisible? Yeah. To the way I'm going to cope is by telling my story and putting it out yeah. there for other people to read. Like, I, how do you make that? How did that? That's a pretty big difference in the yeah. way you about your own story, right?
1: Right. Well, um, I was thinking about this before we got on the call, and um, I think that we're all born with a desire to be seen and known and paid attention to. I mean, that's just how we're supposed to live in community and God made us for needing each other and uh, validating our experience that way, serving as a witness to each other's lives. And so um, I don't think that that ever went away. I think that I just learned that um, there wasn't enough time for me all the time. There wasn't enough attention to go around. And so I, took on the martyr, <laughs> you know, well, I'll just disappear. And I'll, um and so...
0: Can I ask a quick question about that? Yeah, yeah. Are are you saying that was true that there was enough attention to go around or that was just your perception?
1: Um, That's a hard question.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: uh, it's definitely my perception. Um, I have wrestled with whether or not that was true. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm a parent now. I know that I don't always give my kids 100% because I got my own stuff that's going on. Um, and I can miss things. So, um, I don't think there's any shame in saying that my parents might've missed something and, and I'm not, thankfully through writing and through counseling, I don't hold that against them. And I'm like, we're on the same page here. I'm doing the best I can. You did the best you can, you could, and I love you, you know? Um, so, I'm tempted to say it was probably more my perspective, but I still, there's a part of me that wants to, that also (laughs) thinks that there were times, you know, and you're, the way our brains work, and I learned this in counseling, is that we grab onto the negative and magnify it because we're trying, we're in that fight or flight. Our essential uh, brain design is to stay alive. (laughs) And so something is painful. We're like, okay, let's avoid that. And, but that isn't necessarily the truth of what happened completely. And who knows, you know, God only knows.
0: (laughs) Anyway, I interrupted you. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, that's okay. (laughs) So I guess, um, recognizing that had, that I had taken on that story for myself, that there wasn't enough time and attention, um, and it would be better. Everyone else was happier when Jana just disappeared. When I recognized that I was like, well, I don't want anybody to feel that way. That's not true. And so how can I, give myself permission and take care of myself again and say this isn't true jana deserves time and attention and well i can step up and i can tell my story and then i can even read it out loud for some people or Mm -hmm. um publish it you know and um i i lost a thought i just had
0: but i lost well can i just interject while you're thinking about your your thought or maybe we'll come back you know it, it's I, don't, I think it's more than just a matter of Jana deserves attention but also Jana's readers deserve something yes that you yes, have to that give, right? you know you have something to give it's not just that you need to receive something yeah although you do yeah. I, I know you do but it's right. also you have something to give
1: yeah yeah totally that's what that was my thought was um I remember reading traveling mercies as uh, in my early 20s and just you know there was a long book Yeah, Anne Lamott. So she grew up in California, had a completely different uh, family life and experience than me, other than the fact that we're both white, you know. But she grew up in a different decade, different family dynamics. Mm -hmm. But I felt such a connection with her story, and um, it helped me. And the the fact that she could believe the same things that I had been taught to believe as a kid, and she chose to believe them as an adult, and our, our faith you know, we had that in common. Um, that was my first desire to try and do that for somebody else. I was like, if I can do for one person what Ann did for me, then I can. And that's worked, you know, taking yeah. a shot. <laughs> yeah. I did. <clears throat> it took me a long time to take the shot, but I did.
0: <laughs> I can imagine. All right, I'm going to ask you a very personal question. <laughs> Tell me about your inner critic.
1: Okay. Um he or she is very loud.
0: (laughs) You don't know if it's a he or a (laughs) she.
1: Yeah. I, I, um, I don't, it sounds different on different days.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, um, but yeah, I have to fight it. I have to write down some of the things that it says sometimes and, um, then write down the truth next to it and mm. make a decision, you know, about, uh. about not giving in to something just because it feels true. What is mm-hmm. the truth? Go back to what God says about me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That's a great practice to kind of write down what that inner, inner critic. <laughs>
1: yeah. And I've, I, you know, I have a tattoo that I wrote it on my skin, you know, beloved
0: <laughs> because,
1: mm-hmm. um, I had this realization eight years ago, I was doing a Bible study on the book of John and I grew up with this idea that there was John the Baptist and John the beloved. And, um, that was just church tradition, what we called them. Mm-hmm. And I, but for some reason I thought that the gospel of John was written by John the Baptist. And then first, second, and third were written by John the beloved, but I realized they were all written by John the beloved. And, um, as I was studying the gospel of John and I realized that he gave himself that name, you know, he's the one who wrote the book and he said the one who Christ loved and he felt that, you know, and I was like, it's not like Jesus being around and said, John, you're the one I really love, you know, Jesus. <laughs> but John felt that and he owned that. And I was like, I'm going to take that. I'm going to put that on my skin. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, I I don't know how one does this, but, but I think it's important, since we're on the subject of, of inner critics, I think it's, it is important to, to distinguish, if you can, between, is this actually my inner voice criticizing, or is this an out, outer voice that I have somehow internalized? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, in other words, if you don't have an inner critic, you're a crazy person, right? right. <laughs> um, but it's also a good idea, you know, not to internalize every every outward criticism that you've yeah. ever heard. You
1: know? Yeah, and I think a key for me is the shame element. As um, you know, if it's a like an editorial decision that I need to make, there's no shame with that. You know, uh-huh. that's something that I. No will make the art better and serve what I'm doing better, but the uh when there's the overwhelming shame, not just what I've done, like you said earlier, it's not just jana's work, but it's like who jana is mm-hmm. is a bad writer then that's that's not um a healthy <laughs> critic that is um the one that wants to shut you down uh, what some people would say is the devil
0: yeah you know? yeah right uh, so, okay so um w- what's the difference how do you distinguish the difference between a mere editorial Mm -hmm. decision and that other way of that, that other kind of shame.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I don't think I get to the editorial decisions until I shut up the inner critic (laughs) (laughs) bad one (laughs) and I get to work and then I can hear once I'm working and feeling more confident, then I can hear the things that I need to do that are good for the, that serve the project.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I have one more less personal question. Okay. And that is, who are the writers who make you want to write?
1: Um, well, I mentioned Anne already, Anne Lamott. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: David Sedaris is another one that I just <laughs> yeah, in right. up all his books. I love the humor um, yeah. that he goes for. And I love that he can be vulnerable and poignant and funny at the same time. You know, that's... Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. now he's one who's not afraid to tell a sad story for laughs (laughs)
1: yeah definitely he probably needs to listen to this podcast and think about it I also love um, the first writer that I loved was Beverly Cleary uh, when Uh I loved the Ramona books and um, Catherine Patterson is great Um,
0: yeah
1: I was in college read all the Toni Morrison I could read Um,
0: oh she's amazing isn't she
1: yeah yeah so, um, but I don't feel like I could touch anything that she's done. <laughs> so I don't try to write like her. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. 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 So um, Sue Monk kid has been a favorite recently. Yeah. Um, Gary Schmidt. Leifinger is amazing. You
0: know? Yeah. is great? Yeah. yeah. You know, I still haven't read Gary Schmidt. Oh. Okay. His, I mean, everybody loves him so much. And I don't know why yeah. I haven't gotten around to it. I mean, yeah. His, some of his titles are sort of turned me off. It's like, sounds like, it's like the Wednesday right. wars. That's like something I want to read, you know? Right.
1: Yeah, no, you should, uh, uh, not to tell you what to do, but I, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think of your charlatan's boy, um, that time period of life that you uh-huh. kind of address there. I think uh-huh. that Gary goes in for the same territory, hmm. although it's a very different setting and, um,
0: yeah. but
1: yeah, so he's good. You should check
0: yeah. it out. Are there any cowboys?
1: Um, <laughs> I haven't come across any, but there are some good old boys that you will recognize.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah, good, <for> sure. <laughs> excellent.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, Jana Barber, um, I'm so glad that we got to do this, and yeah. um, and I just hope a lot of people read um, Hidden no, Shadow. Thank you. And I um, I appreciate your your vulnerability in that in that book and your willingness to to tell the truth. Alright, thank, thank you. you yeah. This podcast is brought to you by the Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com and to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for Season 3 of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.